0: Hello and welcome to the School for CEOs Leadership Insights Podcast. Today's episode explores the important topic of imposter feeling, a challenge that so many of the leaders in our programmes are grappling with at the moment. Here we draw on key findings from the school's latest research, sharing insights from nearly 300 senior business leaders. I'm Gemma Soule and I hope you enjoy the episode.
1: Hello and welcome to another School for CEOs podcast. This afternoon the tables have turned. It's Gemma Soul's turn to be on the receiving end of the microphone okay. and I, David Sowell, will be asking the questions. This afternoon we're going to talk about imposter feeling and the recent research undertaken by the School for CEOs and I'm delighted that Gemma has joined me. Um, imposter feeling, imposter phenomenon, imposter syndrome... What is it and what's the difference? Why all these different terms?
0: Thanks. And uh, firstly, I think I have to say I have an increasing sense of sympathy towards my uh, podcast guests. It feels very bizarre being on the other side of the table. Um, But yeah, this is a really important subject. So delighted to be speaking about it. Um, The imposter phenomenon was a term that was coined in 1973 following some research done by clinical psychologists uh clance and imes two women and uh, i suppose the term that is most often used nowadays is the imposter syndrome but actually our research was looking at imposter feeling and we deliberately chose to go against the most popular term syndrome and call it imposter feeling because um we felt that the syndrome had kind of medical connotations, so we didn't want people to feel like they were being diagnosed. Um, and a feeling is something that is easier to gain some control over and to start to influence. So that was our intention behind the use of the term. In terms of what it is, the original definition that Clance and Imes came up with was this internal experience of intellectual phoniness. So it, It was more prevalent in minorities and Clance and IMS actually looked specifically at women in their earliest research because women in the 70s were a minority um, across all levels of the organisation, not just in leadership. Um, Another definition that I quite like is this one of an illusion of incompetence. And I really like the use of the word illusion because it's really, for me, highlighting that it's a subjective perception and it's often not validated
1: Okay, and, and as you said, it started, or the initial terminology was back in the 70s, why so popular now? Well, it created a lot of interest, this piece of research, but and why so popular now then, here we are in the 2020?
0: Yeah, uh, that's a really good question, and I, I do get the sense that it's been a slow burner. Um, but why now i guess i'd be making kind of speculations there i've 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 not done too much research into that particular area but my feeling is does it owe thanks to the rise in the the conversation around mental health for example um it's more accepted now to talk about the way you feel than it perhaps has been in the past um perhaps the platform that we've now developed for The diversity agenda could be leading into this, particularly as um, it's a phenomenon that's previously been identified or highlighted among minority groups. So these minorities have a louder voice now, and perhaps organisations are asking themselves why they don't have greater diversity in leadership, and they're trying to get under the skin of that and trying to understand why that might be. But also there's a real desire to know the leaders and to build that connection with the leaders in your organization. So there's a greater need for authenticity. And um, authenticity is something that can be a real challenge for people who feel like imposters, which I'm sure we can come on to a little bit later. So perhaps that's something that's contributing to it as well.
1: Okay, so a lot, of, a lot of interest from an organisational and a leadership perspective. Now, I, I completed the question there myself, and, and it's not just about feeling a fraud, is it? There's, there's questions around perfectionism, there's questions about being lucky, I think. Um, one of the questions was, I, I happen to be in the right place at the right time, or I knew the right people. Uh, another one was, I rarely do a project or task as well as I'd like to do it. So it's not about just this sort of sense of phoniness, is it?
0: No, it's really broad. And um, I I suppose one of the the characteristics that people associate with the most is that notion of self-doubt and that feeling of I'm not good enough and how that affects you both in your day-to-day performance but also as you look forward in your career and thinking about what opportunities and what responsibilities might be accessible to you or not. Um, that, that can really play into that really strongly. Um, I'm really interested by the the concept of luck and chance and how that plays into it, um, particularly as we talk a lot about humility in leadership and, uh, you know, there's no one person greater than the team. And uh, we listen to a lot of examples of that at Vital Few and we have our faculty come in and talking about um, their experiences. But one of the... One of the really strong characteristics among imposters is the concept of locus of control. And those who experience higher levels of imposter feeling are really bad at um, taking the merit for their efforts. So if I do really well in a presentation, um, it's not me who's done really well. It's, you know, it's I'm just lucky that they liked me. Or I, I plagiarised on the material from a pitch that I heard you do, David. You know, I've, not, it's not me. It's all borrowed. <clears throat> um, whereas someone who has an internal locus of control, they would absolutely take the credit for that and say, yeah, I was really badass. I nailed that. <laughs> so there's some really interesting situa- uh, situations and circumstances around that that luck element.
1: Mm-hmm. Great story about Gary Player. Um chipping a, a ball at the British Open out of a bunker into the hole and one of the crowd said oh that was pretty lucky and player turned around and said to him yeah do you know what the more I practice the luckier I get so I, I think luck does have a, an element to uh, to contribute to that but um, tell us a little bit about how you went about the research and, and who was involved in it.
0: Hmm. Well firstly There's very little research that actually looks at imposter feeling among senior leaders. So um, even though the CEO and the executive team, they're a a minority in their organization, it's quite a lonely role and you can be quite isolated there. Um, So we, we were interested to kind of plug that gap in terms of the research. And um, we stumbled upon a a fantastic partner, actually, at Harriet Watt University. So um, I picked up the phone to the program director of the MSc in Business Psychology there and uh, spoke to Dr. Miwara Christia, who also has a very... Personal interest in this subject, in this field, and has done much of her own research actually in this area already. So it was a really happy uh, coincidence when I picked up the phone. And we also had the support from a a master's student, Ronja Ostner, who helped us with many of the interviews. Um, So some really great partners there, and uh, the kind of academic rigor that she brought to the project was fantastic. Um, And then the research itself was twofold. So we wanted to get a, a kind of critical mass of data to see how many leaders are being affected, how prevalent is it? So how many leaders are affected by the feelings of imposterism? And we also wanted to know a little bit about the the profile of these leaders. So how long had they been in leadership roles? What was their gender? What was their age? So we picked up some interesting information there as well. And once we'd done that and gone through that uh, data... We then hand-selected individuals for interviews to get a a deeper understanding of how it affects them.
1: Okay. And what were the high-level findings from the quantitative piece of research?
0: So out of the nearly 300 um, that took the survey, and just over half of those were chairs, non-execs, CEOs, the others were functional leaders thirty six percent of them scored frequent or high on the scale, and there's there 's four, right. sc- there's four uh, bandings, so there 's low, moderate, frequent, or high um, so that felt like a lot thirty six percent so a third of our organization 's leaders are feeling like imposters often um, or you know practically all the time um, But what was really interesting i thought was that below that band in the moderate level, there was fifty percent. So when you add those two together, that's 86%. Good mm-hmm. mass, I know. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's actually a very high number of individuals who are at some point going to be affected by by these feelings. And it's even more than the, um, the existing research that says 70% of people at work have felt like an imposter at some point. Mm-hmm. So it's really reinforcing the data that's out there. Mm-hmm. That was the first finding that was really interesting. The second one was to do with age. So we had a really uh, broad age range of 50 years. So we, the youngest um, leader who took part in the, in the survey was 24, and that went right up to 74. So um, a, a really wide bracket there. And what we found was that the experience of imposter feeling actually diminishes with age. So um, that was interesting. We're kind of keen to get under the skin of that a little bit. And then while we had, uh, we aimed to have equal participation in men and women, and we did in the qualitative, actually in the quantitative survey, we had 58% men, so slightly more men than women. Um, We did find that women scored overall or averaged higher on the scale than men did. So 53% of our women scored frequently or high uh, versus 25% of men. So that was a significant difference as well.
1: Okay. So higher proportion of women experiencing imposter feeling, it declines with age, but it's just massively common. Lots yeah. of people experience it. Yeah. 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 Fascinating. And you then went in to do some qualitative research. How, how did that work? How did you split that out?
0: So again, we were looking to get equal perspective in terms of gender. Uh, so we looked at Um, splitting up our participants 50-50 in terms of uh, we took 10 interviews from women, 10 interviews from men. We also were interested to get two sides of the same coin. So we wanted to see or to compare the experiences of those who scored highly on the scale versus those who scored low. So again, we had an equal number of men and women at both ends of the scale and we compared their experiences and also what helped them.
1: And what emerged from that second piece of uh, analysis that you did?
0: I think the first thing that emerged was that this is not fixed. So um, there are a broad uh, range of things that you can do personally um, that will help you deal with these emotions.
1: So there were some interesting perspectives that you emerged from the qualitative piece of research. Um, both in terms of success and failure. Can you tell us a little bit about that?
0: So we touched on this locus of control and who or what you attribute your success to. And if you feel more like an imposter, then you tend to attribute your success to something that was out with your control, whether that be someone who's helped you, whether that be luck What's interesting is when you look at failure and what they attribute failure to, because uh, for the most part, those who scored higher on the imposter feeding scale um, were very were very fearful of failure, um, and they really internalised failure. And if something went wrong, then it was always going to be their fault, and it was going to be down to something they did, not something that was out with their control, um, and that can be really debilitating. And uh, we actually asked every every participant in the the interview, "Are you afraid of failure and It was almost you know night and day one hundred percent of the imposters said yes, and those who didn 't feel like imposters said no um, and there was a really interesting weight that they put on that that word "failure." So for those who felt like imposters, it was, you know, catastrophic career-ending failure. Whereas those who didn't feel like imposters, for them, failure is just part of the course of life. You know, it's every not everyone is going to get everything right. And they, that was very much accepted. And there was a sense of perspective of, okay, well, it might not go right tomorrow, but I'll learn from that and I'll sort it out and I'm still going to be successful. So there was... There was confidence that was underrunning that, and that was a clear difference at both ends. Those Mm. with lower imposter feeling definitely Mm. described themselves as confident individuals, um, but they weren't afraid of failure, and I think that was quite empowering for them.
1: Yeah. yeah. The great whiskey baron Tommy Dewar said that the greatest mistake you can make in life is to continually fear that you'll make one. And I think that sort of sense of having the confidence to, to fail... But to treat it as a learning opportunity is, is really powerful and yeah it, it does come back to that confidence and that peace that, that imposter people with low imposter feeling tend to be confident and assured and courageous in many respects
0: mm-hmm. and and self doubt um that, that is one of the core characteristics of imposter feeding, right? And there's a lot of research around mm. self-doubt. And there's real limitations that you can put on yourself career-wise because of that, that mm. fear of not mm. succeeding. Yeah,
1: And you touched on authenticity before, but one of the things that struck me from the uh, reading the report was this piece around you know, to what extent is it an act and to what extent are you authentic as a leader?
0: Mm the authenticity is really interesting for me um and for one you can talk about it within the context of perfectionism so this is another characteristic that is really prevalent among imposters so um you interpret mistakes as a demonstration of your own incompetence therefore you're really fearful of making mistakes um you over prepare for things um but beyond that this fear of uh imperfection leads to these kind of in psychology you call it self-presentation strategies so the person that you're presenting to your colleagues it might not actually be you it's the person that you think they want to see or that they expect to see and to work alongside Um, so you're being inauthentic you're putting on a mask you're playing a, a role that you think is the role that you're expected to play um and that is really draining it's really draining on your energy and it it undermines you know you because you don't have that confidence to be yourself
1: Mm. and you touched on the physiological impact of imposter feeling a lot of people reference lack of sleep or working incredibly long hours It, it it appears to be something which has a physiological impact on leaders as well as mental impact on leaders as well
0: yeah and actually if that is one of the things that people struggle with it's also one of the things that people can start influencing to help them deal with it Mm -hmm. so um when we ask people what helps you what do you do when you're really experiencing these feelings of you're really overcome by this stress and in a lot of cases anxiety and you know some individuals say "I i go and take a nap and I actually put the pen down, shut the laptop and I go, I mean, I'm assuming this person works from home, but uh, <laughs> they, they used to go and just switch, switch off and take an hour go have a nap and recharge because they felt so physically drained by it. Um, we spoke to another individual who used exercise in a really healthy way. So they say, you know, actually I go for a run every morning and that is the time where I can think. Um, and it's really positive thinking because they're getting the endorphin release from the exercise. So actually, they're in a kind of state where they can be thinking positively, creatively, and that is really therapeutic for them. So um, physical exercise and physical care, nutrition, um, were things that really helped individuals deal with it.
1: Uh, go back to ancient Rome and juvenile saying, mens sana, incorpore sano, sound mind and a sound body. Um, the other thing that struck me from the, the coping mechanism side of things was that the strength and power of networks. Um, people with low experience of uh, imposter feeling seem to have really well-developed networks, but it was something that people with high experience of imposter feeling recognised could be a real support to them.
0: Yeah, and uh, this actually builds on the question you asked earlier about authenticity, because really strongly linked to that is trust. And um, one, this also links with the ability to internalize your success, so back to that locus of control again. So if someone gives you praise, if you don't trust them, you're not going to accept it. So people who have high levels of imposter feeling, they're really bad at accepting compliments. They don't believe them. They don't think that they're justified. So building these networks... They might be inside your organisation, but they should also be outside your organisation. And having strong bonds with individuals who you can talk to about your concerns, about your insecurities, the first thing that you'll learn is that you're not alone. Mm. And that's what we heard from a lot of people we spoke to is actually, oh my God, you know, I've just had this conversation and they've just mirrored Mm. it back to me Mm. and immediately had this overwhelming sense of relief and thinking you know oh, maybe I'm maybe I'm okay here mm. maybe I'm mm. not doing so badly and one of the dangers is that when you have these these emotions these feelings you lock them up because you're afraid that other people might find out how you feel and you're mm. afraid that they might agree with you that you're not adequate mm. So if you can start having these conversations, that really helps to break down some of those self-limiting assumptions. Mm. If you can then, from that, start to build trust with some key individuals, then you'll believe them when they tell you, uh, when they give you positive feedback, if they give you praise, you'll believe them because you Mm. have a trusting relationship with them. And when you trust them and believe them, then that makes it more easy for you to be yourself. Mm. So so you can then start to develop this really virtuous circle and become more authentic and more trusting and trustworthy in the organization yeah
1: and it sort of plays into the final piece that I wanted to ask you about which is around social comparison uh, Mm. and how you benchmark yourself uh, and, and the impact of imposter feeling on that
0: yeah this is really interesting phenomenon that's been evolved in a lot of previous research so one of the core characteristics of imposters is this constant need for social approval and you are always comparing yourself to the person next to you whether that is a relevant benchmark or not Um, and it came up in the interviews when we were talking to executives about particularly in exco meetings so they're sitting across the table from their peers perhaps their ceo perhaps they are the ceo and they're looking and they're benchmarking everyone and saying oh that person's just added something really good to that conversation Um, they're thinking about what everyone else is bringing and they're thinking I don't do what that person does I don't know what that person knows forgetting actually that they don't know what you know you know so you've been brought into this team because you're really good at one or two things you have some specific expertise that there's a need for at the table and people seem to forget that and they, they're constantly comparing themselves with others, thinking, oh, I, don't, I, I can't do what that person does, forgetting that they are bringing something unique themselves.
1: Mm. Mm. I think the other thing that I <clears> have <throat> noticed about very confident leaders and, and impressive leaders that I've worked with is uh, no fear about hiring bright people. And indeed, they go out of their way to hire the very best people that they possibly can recognizing that they're smarter and that they don't have to be the smartest person in that room so having that humility uh, and courage to recognize that they they won't know the answers but they've got people who do have the answers then ultimately the organization is going to benefit from that and that's that's quite a brave step to take
0: yeah and it makes so much sense and you can you know I'm listening to you and I'm thinking, yeah, absolutely. We had um, Matthew Fosh on a podcast um, in January this year and he talked about that. He said, you know, focus on the one, two things that you have been hired for. Focus on those and then make sure that everything else is covered in your team. It makes absolute sense. But the reality, if you are someone who's constantly benchmarking yourself against others, that, that is really terrifying. So it, it it's a, it's a tricky one to overcome, but um, I, th- I think you need to start with yourself and accept what you're good at mm. um, and appreciate why you're there.
1: So to conclude, what, what final recommendations or advice would you give people who are experiencing imposter feeling, Gemma?
0: Well, there are three main things, the main recommendations that we came away with. And the first one is all about Acceptance. So accept who you are and be resourceful to be your best self. And by that we mean understand where your strengths are and where your limitations are and play to your strengths and recruit for your limitations. But also accept that you're prone to feeling like this, that you're prone to feeling like an imposter. And if you can start to accept that, you will normalize it and that voice will gradually get quieter. It's going to take some effort, but it's it's definitely worth it. And about being your best self, that's really, we've touched on it already, but really looking after your mind, body, soul, whether that is through exercise, nutrition, rest, recovery. These are all really important, and the effect that that will have on you psychologically when you come across these challenges that are making you feel doubtful, that will all play to your strength. The second one is about reframing. Reframing how you perceive others in that social comparison And also reframing how you perceive different experiences. So we need diversity in our teams. Accept that others are going to bring different things to the table than you. And be assertive and confident in the the strengths that you bring because you are bringing something unique. You are unique. And also when it comes to different experiences, remember to maintain that sense of perspective. And this might be something that you need help with. So it could be actually having a critical friend who can say, yo, this is not that important in the grand scheme of things. okay. And if, if you can start to reframe failures as learnings, then that will really help you in the long run. And the final, and I actually think the most important thing, is to build really strong networks that are founded on trust. Build a network that's diverse. Use your coach, use your mentor, use your colleagues, use your family, use your friends, use fellow alumni from programs and build those networks and have conversations about this. And you'll realize that you're not alone and you'll realize that actually there's a lot of people who can help you. And those are my my three recommendations.
1: Always great to have a list of three things, the power of three. Gemma, thank you so much for your time this afternoon. It's been a real pleasure and as ever, very insightful.
0: You've been listening to the School for CEOs Leadership Insights Podcast with today's host, David Soule, and guest speaker, me. I hope you enjoyed it and found it useful. If you'd like to learn more, you can find the full report Overcoming Imposter Feeling on our website. Search for schoolforceos.com forward slash thought hyphen leadership and filter by research. You can also watch our live webinar recording, which features our research partner, Dr. Christia, who talks in detail about the phenomenon, as well as our own findings. Go to YouTube and search for Overcoming Imposter Feeling. And finally, if you're struggling with imposter feelings and need help turning these recommendations into action, drop us an email at info at dot com and we'll put you in touch with one of our experienced executive coaches to help you. Thanks for listening, and see you again soon.